0: love hearing those Bible pages turn, man. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. If you do not have God's Word in front of you, I would encourage you to do that because if you don't, first of all, you're going to get lost. And secondly, His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's guiding us this morning. So if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. Crack that open to Daniel chapter 2. And if you don't own one, take that home. That's our gift to you this morning. We are going to be reading verses 1 through 30. It's a good chunk of text, but if there's one complaint that we would love to hear, it's you guys read too much Bible. We'll be like, okay, we're cool with that. So follow along with your eyes on Scripture. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with thanks be to God. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. "'If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. "'But if you show the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. "'Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation.' "'They answered a second time and said, "'Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation.' "'The king answered and said, "'I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, "'because you see that the word from me is firm.' If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak, lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh." Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise man of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, "Why is the decree of the king so urgent?" Then Arioch made known the matter to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these... To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here
1: today and excited to be back into the book of Daniel. And before um, we do that, just wanna share um, a little bit of an announcement with you of what we've got coming up. Last week, we left you in great suspense, and we said that we have a great announcement and wait till this week. And so um, just a little bit of backstory to make this announcement make sense. Many of you who, maybe this is your first time here or who have only been here for about a year or so, Um, I got here coming up in August. This will be my fourth year um, as pastor here, and so um, I'm 31 years old, drive a minivan, have three kids, and I'm a pastor, and so life is incredible. You know what I mean? It's pretty crazy, but um, Westside was in really a fork in the road in that season of life, and there were a faithful group of people here who had been praying and asking God, um, God, we want to do, we want to be um, expansive for your kingdom. We want want to have an effect. And um, so me and my wife, we came here, and we were here with a group of people. And over the years, um, for some reason, God has just been growing us. And I'll never forget the Sunday that I drove away, and we had 10 kids in the nursery, 10. And I thought, Oh my goodness, people are coming and people are giving us their babies and they're like entrusting us. And now um, anywhere between two services, we're at multiple services now. And we'll have anywhere between the nursery and kids side, anywhere between 30 and 50 kids um, on a Sunday. And so the Lord has just been doing some really profound things. And it's almost, there's just really no answer for us to give other than Jesus is doing this. I mean... People are getting baptized. People are just serving. People are coming to know the Lord. It's just incredible. And our average attendance last year between two services was around 290. And so oftentimes people don't know how big we are as a church because you see this service. Well, there's an entire service that happens again at the 11 a.m. service filled with more people. And so as of this year, um, our attendance is up 17, around 17%. And so we average uh, close to about 350 people between both services. Last year at Easter time, our attendance shot up about 117%. And we were at 630 people between two services last Sunday. And if the fire marshal had been here, he would have said some things for sure. But um, luckily he was not. And so as a staff and as a board, we've really been praying about um, this year and this Easter. And there was a story actually last year. A couple um, invited a group of people to come and got a text message. Hey, you know, we're getting ready to pull into the parking lot. We're getting ready to come. And um, that couple was sort of looking around and waiting for their friends to come in. And finally, um, one, you know, the guy stepped out and made the phone call and said, hey, where are you at? And he said, bro... There's people parking in driveways, on lots, on the side of the road and stuff. There's no way there's any room, so, so we're just not going to come. And for me, that's just not okay. We're just uh, we're not going to do that. Because we believe that the local church is God's plan for humanity. There's no plan B. The gospel is the hope of humanity, and the church is the lighthouse. So we've been praying, we've been fasting, And um, our board has been seeking God on behalf of this. And so we believe that God has led us into this next season and particularly for this Easter that is coming up. And so um, why don't you take a look at this video and, and we'll talk a little bit more. So it's getting close to springtime here in southeast Missouri. And if you know anything about this area, you know that it can bring in some pretty wicked storms. Well, just recently, one of those storms actually came through. I've got three small kids in our house, and when the storm was coming through, they started getting scared. And then we got the notification on our phone that a tornado watch was there. Then they started asking questions, what if the tornado comes, Dad? What if it blows all my toys away? What if it blows our swing set away? So as my kids were asking that question, Dad, what if, what if, I realized through their innocence that I actually live my life based around that question, what if. I mean what if something bad happens so I went and purchased life insurance but I think a lot of us live by the question what if what if I can't change or what if I fail what if is a big part of our lives and as we're getting close to Easter what if the message of Easter is actually true what if a man rose from the dead what if Jesus really is God what if you can really change? What if a group of people got together over 50 years ago who believed that message and answered the question of what if? What if Jesus was really God? And that group of people formed a church and that church became known as Westside Church of God. And what if Westside has grown to multiple services and well over 300 people? And what if this Easter, April 1st, 2018, we celebrated and answered the question, what if, in the largest venue that Popper
0: Bluff has to offer. So we want to invite you Sunday, April 1st, at 10 a.m. at the Black River Coliseum to join us as we answer the question, what if? What if the Easter story is true? What if I can really change? What if thousands of people and families from Southeast Missouri gathered under one roof to ultimately answer that question? what if. So join us Sunday, April 1st at 10 a.m. as Westside Church of God hosts a celebration of an Easter service at the Black River Coliseum.
1: God's grace is good and um, we firmly believe that this is where God is leading us and we've gotten confirmation of that along the way. We actually have had an outside donor donate the entire cost of the Black River Coliseum to us. And so this Easter, we're going to be what they call half-house in the um, Coliseum, which is where the stage will be in the middle of the room. We'll be projected at one end um, of the Coliseum, which seats about 1,200 people. And so our projected attendance this year, um, based off of last year's attendance, is around 740 and what we're asking God for is for 1,000 people on Easter. We're asking for 1,000 people. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 2, it says that 2,000 people came to know the Lord on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached. And so people often say, oh, man, numbers this, numbers that. Well, the Bible counts numbers. You know why? Because every number has a name. And every name matters to God. And every name has a story. And listen to me. Our community is dying. There are people who do not know the Lord, and there will be people who will spend eternity separated from him. And there are people who do not know that the grave is empty and that the throne is occupied and that Jesus is alive. And so this Sunday, we are giving it all we've got on Easter Sunday, April 1st. We're going to give it everything that we have, and we're going to celebrate that in the Easter Uh, at the Coliseum of the Black River Coliseum. So there's a couple things that we need from you. Whenever you leave today, there will be a table set up with the Easter invites. And so there'll be in stacks of five. And so we're going to ask you, listen, we're asking you as the congregation to cash in this year the people that you've been praying for, the relationship that you're thinking, oh man, I don't know if they know Jesus. Listen, I'm asking you to cash in on that this Easter. Drop these off, put these anywhere and everywhere, get a ticket for littering, do whatever you gotta do for Jesus, okay? Leave this wherever you need to. And then also there's gonna be a sign-up sheet out there in the lobby as well. And we need all hands on deck for this. How cool would it be for you to be able to tell your kids that you served and that you were part of an event that literally changed people's lives. And listen, I'm so crazy to think that I think that this event could change the face of Popper Bluff. I think that I think that God is doing something that at the end of the day, all we can say is, I don't know, man, it's just Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. So we're excited about this. Everything is going to go live this week. Banners are going to be set up. We're going to be on radio. We're going to be doing all types of things. And at the end of the day, here's the point. The point is not Westside. The point is not Jason. The point is not Tyler. The point is not any of that. The point is it's all about Jesus. That's what it's about, and that's what our goal is. So would you join me right now? I just want to pray, and I want to ask God for this event, okay? So, Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we're so thankful for vision. We're so thankful for momentum and movement. And God, it just makes sense, even in light of the text today, to know what you're doing in and through the people and life of Westside, and it's because there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, that there is a God in heaven who is doing things, God, we are praying and we are pleading on behalf and in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give us a thousand people at the Colosseum this Easter. God, we're asking for people who do not know you, people who are enemies of you and people who are headed to a eternity of destruction would cross from death to life this Easter Sunday. God, we are praying for families to be put back together. God, we are praying for addictions to be broken. And we are praying for hard hearts to be softened in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that this stone that is thrown into the pond of eternity would echo and ripple and lives would be changed. God, equip us with strong hands to labor for this. Just as Nehemiah said, the Lord will build this wall and then they grabbed a brick and a trowel and they got to work. May we pray in faith that you will give us a thousand people and then we leave this place and we get to work because the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. And we pray this all in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what a way to start a message, right? It's all downhill from here now. You know what I mean? but it goes along with what we're looking at absolutely in our series of Daniel. Because what we're looking at is a group of people who are living in a culture, and there are people who love God, but they're living in a culture who hates God. And Daniel chapter two is really about this idea of compare and contrast. As it was being read to you, you had King Nebuchadnezzar who is choosing to deal with what God was doing in his life a certain way. And then you had Daniel who was dealing God. With what God was doing in his life a certain way as well. And really, when you look at it, it's this compare and contrast of which character are you? And it's really this idea of foolishness and wisdom. How are you going to handle a certain thing? And as I understood this idea of a dream when I was reading the text, there were two things that popped into my mind. The first one was Aerosmith's dream, you know, dream on. You know, that was definitely in my mind as well. But the first thing that popped into my mind was August 28th, 1963, when a group of 250,000 people made the one-mile march from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial. And they were led by a young black preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And they were there for the Civil Rights March. 250,000 people on that hot August day. And as he mounted those steps at the feet of Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation, he thundered from behind that pulpit. I have a dream. I have a dream. And he broadcast that dream on national television to a nation that was broken and divided. But as Paul Harvey would say, there is a little bit of a rest to the story. Because the I have a dream speech was not even supposed to happen that day. Did you know that? It wasn't even in his notes. You see, Dr. Martin Luther King and them had got there the night before, and they had been marching. He was exhausted, and he started to write his speech that evening in a hotel room there in Washington. And there was a number of people who were there for the event. Bob Dylan was one of them who sang. But another lady who sang, who always sung before Dr. Martin Luther King spoke, was a lady by the name of Mahalia Jackson. She's a gospel singer. She's got an album. She was very famous. And We actually have a picture of her in the crowd as well as King is giving the speech. She's sitting there. What a lot of people don't know is that Dr. Martin Luther King was giving a horrible speech that day. It was hot. They were exhausted. And he was losing his crowd. People started to leave. People were getting up to go to the bathroom. He was stressed out. He's talked about it multiple times that he felt like this was such a big moment and he was failing. And Mahalia Jackson was seeing the audience and knew what was taking place. And she saw Dr. King sweating, losing his crown. And she was there and she remembered two months before, Dr. King had given a speech in Detroit to about 100,000 people. And there he had preached a sermon. And he preached it from where Joseph had gotten a dream and a vision. And Joseph's brothers say, here comes the dream seer and let's slay him. And then see what becomes of his dreams. And Mahalia Jackson on that morning, it was hot. She says, tell him about the dream, Martin. He keeps giving his speech. Martin, Martin, tell him about the dream. And then just as any strong black lady would, she said, Martin, you better tell him about the dream, right? (laughs) And then finally, you can hear it in the audio. Finally, he just shifts in his speech and then thunders. I have a dream. That my four children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but they will be judged by the content of their character. Oh, I have a dream that on the hills of Georgia and the seething scent of racism that I would see little black girls and little white girls holding hands. Oh, my, America, I have a dream. And then we see that the nation moves and acts against the sin of segregation, all all because a young black preacher answered the call and all because a gospel singer encouraged him. Listen, listen. Um, science didn't end segregation, philosophy didn't, the great minds, none of that happened. You could say that God used a foolish, ignorant person to stand up and preach a sermon, and that moved a nation. You see, that's how God works all through Scripture and all through history, That God literally uses foolish things to reveal how strong he is. And Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians. For consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Oh, that's a good spot for an amen for you guys, right? I'll read it again, it's okay. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Right? Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now let's apply that to your life. I bet if you planned your life out and you were on just a blank sheet of paper and you said, this is how God's going to work in my life. God is going to work in the mountaintops. He's going to do this. When I've got it all together and I've got this and I've got then God is going to work. He's going to do some things in my life. And then I come to you now and say, when has God worked in your life and how has he? And you would say, in the most foolish of times. Through the most foolish circumstances, I would have never have imagined that because this person said this and made this phone call, or because me and my family moved here and did this, or because me and my wife stepped out in faith, and we did, it seemed so foolish at the time. and God chose that moment to reveal His wisdom. You see, that's what Daniel is writing to us in Daniel chapter two. He's showing Babylon, wise and powerful Babylon. Imagine our culture, 2018, smartphones, even though we do some pretty dumb stuff with a smartphone. But all of this technology, all of everything, and God looks at his people and says, no, 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 I'm not going to use that way. I'm gonna use this one. I'm gonna use Daniel and his people to reveal my strength. One scholar puts it this way In light of this chapter, Daniel is saying that life is a dead end street without a God who discloses what the future holds. He is telling exiled Israel that there is no need to be in awe of the pagan culture despite the trappings of the splendor for it is nothing but empty and dark. Here's the big idea. And listen, I want you to understand this as your pastor because you are lured into this lie and trap every single day of your life. That the culture is smarter, that the Bible's outdated, all of this and that. But I want you to understand this. What the culture calls foolish, God chooses to reveal his wisdom through. It's just that simple. What the culture, think about it. God came in human flesh through a teenage girl. I mean, that's insane, right? Are you kidding me, right? God uses a murderer named Moses to free his people out of slavery. God came in the form of a homeless Jewish man to reveal the kingdom of God. God used an execution chamber of a cross to reveal his great love for the world. Listen, what the culture calls foolish, God uses to reveal his wisdom. So don't be surprised when the culture or people who don't love God, say, I can't believe you're doing that with your life. The Bible really? We have Google now, Jason. Come on, man, right? Don't be surprised with that. And so we're going to see, what does foolishness look like? And what does wisdom look like? And we're going to see that from Nebuchadnezzar and from Daniel in this chapter. And you need to be asking yourself, which one am I? Listen, don't be nudging your neighbor. Don't be going, oh man, my wife, hope she's listening to this one today, right? And by the way, I hope you don't say that in church because your afternoon's not going to go well for you, okay? Right? You need to be asking yourself, which one am I? The first thing is this that we see. Foolishness is restless, but wisdom is peaceful. Do you see it there in the first verse? In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. What's funny is in the original language, it literally means that his sleep broke from him. That he could not, like, and, and, and it's a reoccurring dream that he has. Almost sort of like a nightmare. So each and every night he's waking up at the same time, cold chills. He can't, all through the day, he's thinking about this. He's paranoid about this. But what's interesting is what the writer shows you. In the year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he was troubled. And he couldn't even get a good night's sleep. Now, I can't stress to you how successful King Nebuchadnezzar is. He's of the most successful empire. He's the wealthiest man on the planet as of right now. He literally has everything in the world that someone could desire. Everything and then some. But the dude can't even sleep through the night. And I'm reminded that when we turn on the news and we see this celebrity does that, and we see this person does this, and everybody that we would think who has it all together and everything that we desire to family, money, all of these things. And in reality, deep down inside, their heart is broken and their mind is troubled apart from God. There's a pop artist by the name of Pink. She has a song um, entitled Sober, which was released in 2008. It won her Grammy. But there's a line in the song that I love, and it says, I don't want to be the girl who has to break the silence The quiet scares me because it screams the truth. The quiet scares me because it screams the truth. You understand that's why people can't go to bed sober, right? Because you can't lay in that bed and put your head on that pillow and let your mind swirl and wonder about everything. I think oftentimes that's why technology is such an addiction to us because it just numbs our mind and we don't have to think about anything because there is a deep restlessness inside of us because we keep coming to the culture and to the world to satisfy us. And here's something you need to understand. The world always overpromises and always under-delivers. That's what sin is. Constantly. That's why the affair happens. That's why we steal from the job. That's why we do this. Because we are promised something, and it's an over promise, but it always underdelivers. And listen, the grass is never greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. So get to work. Okay? So we see that foolishness is restless because it's always doing everything and it's constantly looking at everything. But now look at verse 14. This is incredible. Actually jump up to verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, which was basically his executioner. What? (laughs) Come again, right? Dead man walking. This is your executioner who knocks on the door. The decree has gone out. All of these guys are dying. The king is paranoid. He's losing his mind. He's restless. He's foolish. And Daniel replies with prudence and discretion. How? How in the world could you do that? Because Daniel realizes something that King Nebuchadnezzar does not. King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is built on him. And Daniel rests in the fact that it's not about him. What the king desires, the slave possesses. How profound is that? What the king literally desires, one of his own slaves possesses. And the culture would say, that's absolutely foolish. That doesn't make any sense at all. That this guy who has everything should have everything. But in reality, Augustine, one of the early church fathers says, our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Where have you been seeking your joy from in your life? I think oftentimes we so, we so believe the lie of King Nebuchadnezzar And then we look at Daniel, literally his life is on the line, and he's peaceful. The second thing that we see is this, foolishness is helpless, but wisdom is prayerful. Do you see there in verse 10, so he gathers everybody, and and I'll try to break this down in in, in modern day terms. So, So he brings sorcerers, magicians, Harry Potter, Snow White and the Seven Doors. He brings all of those guys around, okay? Because back then, you got to understand, kings were almost viewed as deities. So the fact that he had a dream was not uncommon. And literally what he is gathering around him is what we would consider modern-day technology. So he calls up Elon Musk. He calls up all of his friends and everybody. And he's like, yo, I need the best technology. I need the best doctors. I need the best everyone. And then verse 10 is their response. The Chaldeans answered the king and said... There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter in all of the world. Isn't it, like, isn't it funny earlier in the verse 2, the king's like, hey, I had a dream. Tell me what the dream is. And the magicians, like I think of those people, like the infomercial people, right? Like call, and then, you know, and then they're like, all we need is your social security number, your birth date, and your address. And then, and then people are like, they knew everything about me. I could not believe it, right? And that's what these guys are doing. They say, well, why don't you tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you what it means. And King Nebuchadnezzar is like, eh uh-uh. If you're good, you can tell me what the dream was. And they're like, uh uh-huh. But what I love is verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and furious. Very strong language in the original. He's literally irate. Why? Because, listen, don't miss this. Look at what the writer's telling us. He has an eternal longing. God's doing something in his life. He's working supernaturally. But he can't find rest. So King Nebuchadnezzar puts his satisfaction and hope in people. Oh, you see, the Bible's really outdated. It's not really relevant to us today at all in any way, shape, or form. What I love, Jonathan Edwards says this, One of the great evils of idolatry is that if we idolize, we must also demonize. You see, he puts all of his hope in people, and then when people can't fill his hope, verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and furious. Sound familiar? Oh, I'm so excited. We're, just, we're gonna be dating. We're about to be married, and it's just, I mean, it's just like The Bachelor, and it's just like Nicholas Sparks, and it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be awesome. And then I'm gonna come to you three years later when you're picking dirty underwear up off the floor and ask you how that's going for you, Okay. Because all of my, listen, Jerry Maguire lied to us. Nobody completes nobody. That ain't true, bro, okay? It's not true. And what we do is when we idolize someone or something and we put it in that position and we realize it can't fulfill us, we also have to tear the very idol down that we've put in place. Nebuchadnezzar goes to his people He goes to the culture. He looks to the world to interpret what God is doing in his life and to satisfy his longings. Now, I have a question. How much of your time is spent expecting things from people that they were never meant to give you? The 11 a.m. will probably receive that a little better. I know it's 9. It's early. I get it. I get it. This is a daily reminder. Listen, parents, parents your kids will never complete you. And if you're waiting for that mom of the year award and that dad of the year award to satisfy you and to give you all of your satisfaction, that's probably not coming. And you're probably gonna have to wait till they're like 45 years old to call you one day and go, man, you did a lot for us. You know what I'm saying, right? How much of our time is is coming to people and going, give me... What you were never meant to give me. You see, frustration is often birthed out of unmet expectations. That's why oftentimes people come into church and they think, oh, the church is here to serve me. The church is here to do this, do this, do this, do this. And they better be nice and they better do this. And it's all of these expectations that are birthed out of that and then frustrations come out of that. Now listen. There's no such thing as a perfect church. As Charles Spurgeon said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it because you're not perfect, right? <laughs> we're not a perfect church. We'll, we'll disappoint you. We'll let you down. I don't think we're a perfect church, but I think we're a good church. I think we're trying. But don't you dare ever place godlike expectations on our staff, on our board, and on this church because those are crushing and no one was ever meant to fulfill those. But what does Daniel do? Look at what Daniel does. Verse 17. Then Daniel got on Facebook and complained to every. <laughs> Is that not in y'all's? Verse 17, that's a different translation than I guess. I don't know. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house. And he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And then here it is, verse 18. And told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. There's your key. I am deeply burdened and troubled by how many Christians are practicing atheists. And what I mean by that is how many Christians do we have who say that they believe in God but act like they don't? I believe that God is in control, but I've got my hands all in this situation because I think he might drop the ball. I believe that God is a God of peace, but my life is riddled with anxiety. Those are sheer signs that you're not living in such a way as to what you believe. And Daniel says, my life is literally on the line. I see what the culture has to offer. Ouija boards and Google, and that's not going to get me very far. So I'm going to go to my godly friends, and we're going to go to our house. See, listen, when everything falls down, Daniel falls on his face. And I can tell a lot about your relationship with Jesus Christ when what you do when suffering and tragedy hits your life. See, everything's fine when everything's fine. But when the unexpected and what was not in my daily plan or happens in my life, what am I supposed to do? And you and I have believed the lie all the way from Genesis 3. Because the enemy told Adam and Eve, you don't need to go to God, you need to go around God. You don't need to go to him, you need to go around him. And what we see here is this true wisdom is not found in going around God, but rather going to Him and going to Him in prayer. Listen, everything from West Side to Easter at the Colosseum to all of that. Listen, do you know how dangerous it is to do this church thing? We can set up a stage. We can practice. I can write a sermon. I can tell you a story about Andy Grace that'll make your feelings go, ha, ha, ha. And then I can punch it right in the gut with a one-liner and then make you feel this and then make you feel that. And then you leave that place and say, wow, we had a thousand people there and Easter was profound. And not even have the spirit of God there. And as Moses told God... God said, I'm not going with my people anymore. And then Moses said, is it not your presence that makes us distinct among all people in the world? The game-changing factor is the God factor in your life. And listen to me, what risks are you taking in your life that would change your life if God was not involved in it? Ask yourself that question. How does my life actually look? How dependent on God actually am I? Or actually how much of control do I have over my own life? You see, Daniel is in such a place where he prays and says, listen, if you don't come through, if you don't come through, literally my head is on the chopping block. And I don't know about you, but there's something in my bones that desires to live that way. I want to live in such a way that God, if you don't come through, then this is a failure. And if you do come through, then everybody knows that was God. That was simply God. Because look at what happens. They pray and God reveals this to Daniel. Look at what Daniel says. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 21, how applicable is this? He changes times and seasons, and he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. Listen, I know the culture is very appealing and I know when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to identity, we've got this opinion and that opinion, but everything changes with the ebb and flow of time. Constantly, all the time, salt's bad for you. This year, 2019, salt's good for you. Sugar's really bad. Pure cane sugar is actually really good for you. Babies should not sleep on their bellies. Well, this year we found out a study that babies should probably sleep on It's constantly all the time everything is always changing. The word of God never changes. And what if our culture, listen to me, please, how profound would this be? What if our culture stopped trying to disprove the wisdom of the Bible and actually applied the wisdom of the Bible to our lives? How profound would that be? Instead of attacking it, what if we actually applied it? You see, foolishness is restless. Wisdom is peaceful. Foolishness is helpless, but wisdom is prayerful. And then the last thing is this, foolishness is prideful, but wisdom is humble. Look at how he talks, King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 26. The king declared the interpretation, and the king declared Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have had? Do you know everything is stopped, and do you know why everything is stopped in this story? Because everything revolves around King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's literally stopped everything happening in the kingdom because his world is not going right. Because everything revolves around him. This week I got on, um, speaking of Google, I got on Google and looked at some pictures of our universe. This is pretty cool, right? What our galaxy looks like and stuff. And you're just on that little rock floating through space, right? And our universe orbits a certain way. Our planets orbit a certain way. Everything is in a rhythm. When you're at the ocean and the tide comes in and the tide goes out, there's a rhythm to everything because there's an orbit to everything. Listen, your life was never designed for everything to orbit around you. And listen, this is how profound this is. When you demand that your family, that your church, that your community group, that everything revolve around you, you are literally out of sync with the entire universe. Well, you're shaking your fist, buddy, because I didn't get it my way. But what does Daniel do? Verse 28, there is a God in heaven. Man, what a, just drop the mic moment right there, right? He's literally in the throne room, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. Then drop down to verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have. I'm not, I'm not smarter than anybody else. I'm just Daniel. And I've just gone to God in prayer. It has nothing to do with me. Listen, you will never believe how free your life will actually be when your life is actually not about you. And then you're able to praise God and to worship what he's revealed. But as we look at this and as we close with this, we understand this. Do you see the role that Daniel is playing? What wisdom is playing? Daniel is a a mediator between God and King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you see that? King Nebuchadnezzar has something going on in his life. God's doing something, but, but he can't quite understand it. He needs somebody to stand in the gap and bridge the gap between him and God. And our life is no different. Psalm 51.5, for we were born in iniquity and sin and we made our life all about us. And God has tried to come into our life and do some things and we have needed someone to be a mediator. And Daniel foreshadows the mediator. 1 Timothy says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. So as the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, I have just a few questions that I want to ask you in light of foolishness and in light of wisdom. In light of how Christ mediates and plays that role in between us and God in our life. The first question is this. What if what you think is foolish in your life is the very way that God is revealing his wisdom to you right now? What if the one thing that you're trying to like stuff under the mattress and like, oh man, if this season could just get over in our life and oh man, if we could just get past this and if I could just... What if that's the very area that God is saying, no, 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 don't resist that. That's what I'm using to show and reveal myself to you. Because I think if each and every one of us would look back and say, man, here's how God moved in my life, it's never this. I never hear this as a testimony of someone who's come to know Christ. Man, everything was going great. I was super healthy, had a ton of cash, bought a boat, had three kids, a dog, golden retriever. Man, my life was awesome. And then I just accepted Jesus. I thought, man, you know what? I want to add him to the mix as well. Never. It was, I got the phone call, this happened with my family. I realize the restlessness in my life. What if the very area that you're calling foolish in your life, God is using to reveal himself to you? The second question is this. Are you demanding from people what they can never give you? Is that how your relationships are functioning? Listen, do a backlog of your relationships. What's the common denominator in all of your relationships? You. You. You're the only common denominator. You can't control other people, but you can make your own choices. And what would our life look like if we put God on the throne rather than other people? And then the last thing is this. Do you realize the access and power you have to God through prayer? What King Nebuchadnezzar desired and did not have, a little Jewish man and his three friends sought the face of the living God and had access to. And how much more would the writer of Hebrews say that now that Jesus Christ who has come, who has died and who is resurrected and now who intercedes for us on behalf of God, that we can now approach the throne of God boldly by grace. You have that access in your life now. All you need to do is get out of the way. Listen, what the culture calls foolish, God chooses to reveal his wisdom through. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and I pray that Westside would be a church of wisdom and not a church of folly. That there are many of us in this room today who are at a crossroads in our life. You're working and doing something. Give us eyes to see. Let us repent and turn where we need to, but not just to run from. We don't need to run from you. We run to you because our God chooses what the world calls foolish to reveal his wisdom. Give us wisdom and insight. And more than anything, let us leave this place loving Jesus more. We pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?